Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Baseball Insiders. Monday, October 16th. Game one of the ALCS is in the books and the Rangers are in the win column. We'll recap that one. Talk a little bit about Jordan Montgomery earning himself Boku Dolores and making a little bit of money. Uh, this offseason with a sterling game one start, plus the NLCS begins tonight, but potentially more top of mind. The Boston Red Sox still looking for a head of baseball operations. Kim Ang, who just led the Marlins to the playoffs, suddenly available. Doesn't take much to connect the dots, but we'll go deeper on Ang's departure, why the Red Sox have struggled to find the right external candidate so far, and what that search will look like moving forward. And to talk me through it all is fansite. It's MLB insider Robert Murray. How you doing, dude? I'm I'm doing great. I'm, I'm recovered from the Eagles' loss yesterday. I was quite unhappy with that. A lot of explosives were thrown around yesterday afternoon, but we're uh, we're back. I got plenty of information for you guys today, which is always going to be a good thing, and uh, some stuff that definitely has not been reported yet. So. Uh, I'm ready to dive into it. Adam Weiner, first of all, how are you doing? I'm good. Let's get right into it. Uh, I guess stuff that's been unreported, like what was going through Jalen Hurts' mind when he threw a game-ending interception instead of just converting a third down up 14-12, stuff like that. That Too soon. That, God, I'm, I... Uh, I don't want to get triggered on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> well, the Niners, yeah. the Niners went down to no more undefeated teams. Nobody rubbing it in your face. Now it's just time to get back down to business for the birds. And Jalen Carter will be back. Exactly. Jalen Carter is going to be back. Lane Johnson is hopefully going to be going to be back pretty soon. So, I mean, everything is trending in the right to Rubolo. They got the Dolphins cover up. Uh, not good. That, that could be tough. That could be really tough. But. Let's talk some baseball. I can't talk about the birds right now. We'll pick up the birds. We'll put it at the end of the show, too. We'll we'll get started, though, on the topics at hand. But first, thank you so much to our sponsor today, Bet365, for uh, partnering with the podcast for a new offer for the MLB postseason. If you are a baseball fan and a new user who does not have a Bet365 account, register with our code BASEBALLIN. Users who register with that code are now eligible to receive $150 in bonus bets. All you have to do is deposit the $10, place a $5 wager on any game. Once that first bet settles, you will receive $150 in bonus bets, even if you lose. Just make sure to use the code BASEBALLIN when you sign up. I would have needed those bonus bets yesterday. I would have put all my live bet money on the Astros when Aroldis Chapman came in to face the heart of the order with Altuve on base and nobody out, but I would have been wrong, so I would have used those bonus bets as insurance. By using the code BASEBALLIN, you not only receive the 115 bonuses, you will also be directly supporting the podcast. So if you've not signed up for Bet365, join with the code BASEBALLIN, place that first bet today. This offer is only available to new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer to see if you qualify and join us in the discord. If you're looking for another way to support the podcast between the shows, that's the best place to do it. A lot of people joining us on the stream today. A lot of people I think would enjoy themselves if they were in that discord as well with access to Robert and I between shows to ask questions, to get the scoops, 
before the show airs or to just rub in Eagles losses if they do drop another game along the way. The Discord is the easiest place to do that. Don't do that. Be nice to Robert. He's letting you in on stuff. Uh, don't make his life a living hell. Uh, and Justin, we play Immaculate Grid from time to time. There's an Immaculate Grid tab and conversation in the Discord that, frankly, I should make better use of, and I will moving forward. Uh, Robert, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the strange Red Sox GM search uh, or the circumstances of King Eng's departure? Because both do feel interconnected all of a sudden this morning uh, as the narrative sort of flips. Yeah, it's been with the Red. I'll start with Cam Ang here for a second here. Yeah, and that is the bomb that dropped today that sort of changes the whole equation. Yeah, because people were asking me about that um, throughout the league, like even within like the last couple of weeks, and there was no indication whatsoever that like she was probably that she was not going to return to to Miami. I thought that was basically a foregone conclusion, in that um, she'd end up being signed to a new deal. But quietly behind the scenes, ownership there in Miami had been looking to hire somebody that was going to be above her. And they broached that idea with her. And obviously, like, she she scoffed at that. Like, she led the team to their first postseason berth in decades and was clearly getting the team set in the right direction. And ownership went out and tried to hire somebody above her. That would not sit well with me. That shouldn't sit well with her. That shouldn't sit. That wouldn't sit well with anybody. And she ended up like declining her end of the mutual option after the team picked up her club option. And now she is a free agent. And I gotta imagine she is going to be pretty highly coveted because um, she did a really nice job in Miami. And some of those trades she made in the midseason uh, or in midseason, like especially getting Jake Berger, uh, Josh Bell worked out. Obviously, uh, they made a, a, an abundance of moves and. Um, her track record speaks for itself. And I got to imagine, I have not heard this, but like, I, I got to imagine she's instantly going to become a serious candidate in Boston. That's just my speculation, not based on any information, but it's enough to connect the dots. Um, and um, speaking of Boston, by the way, that, that job, like you would expect the Boston Red Sox, who are one of the most like historic teams in sports for that job to be extremely highly coveted. But it has not been that way. And as has been reported, they have been turned down by some of their top candidates. I have I have heard names. Um, I can't like I can't reveal those names, but like we're talking like number twos um, who are like who are pretty highly thought of in league circles that are saying no. And other people um, who are highly thought of in, in league circles as well that are saying no. And. I think a lot of it has to stem with like ownership's unwillingness to spend as much money as they used to. And also the fact that there's a lot of key front office people already in place. They, they specific or they specifically kept one. Um, and after firing Heim Bloom, and you would think they would hire somebody as their lead guy and let him choose the front office and who the people are going to be in there but it does not work that way. And I think that is detracting from the attractiveness of that job. And I'm very curious to see who they end up hiring. Like I know there's been reports about Thad Levine in my, in Minnesota, there being mutual interest there. Um, I know there's been reports linking them to Kim, Kim Ang. Um, but other than that, I don't know who's a candidate here and it's really surprising, but it's also not surprising at the same time. 
Yeah, Brian O. Uh, am I Brian O'Halloran? Is that the? Yeah, uh, that's exactly it. I couldn't yeah. think of his name off the top of my head, but that's exactly it. I will also say I thought that was his name, and then I did a very quick Google of Brian O'Halloran, and there's also a the guy who plays Dante and Kevin Smith's Clerks is named Brian O'Halloran, and I was like, oh, I better not be wrong here. Like, I better not be saying the Red Sox promoted the guy with the goatee from Clerks, but. <laughs> I'm I'm glad I was right. I mean, yeah, they were looking at, at you know Eddie Romero internally in Boston is a name you've heard floated around, but it did seem like up until the Kim Ang news, and I hadn't heard Thad Levine either. That makes a lot of sense. You would, I was sort of beginning to think they were going to get stuck, stuck. Who knows? But going internally, getting someone who Alex Cora is already intimately familiar with, and just elevating them because it, you know everybody in the comments knows the list of candidates that was floated. And we also know there hasn't been much traction between those parties so far. So that tells the story. Um, there aren't many top baseball ops jobs available right now. If hmm. you are looking at the Giants and Farhan Zaidi, maybe that opens at some point if he doesn't have a prove it year this year. Kim Eng was once the assistant GM to Brian Cashman. Maybe this becomes Brian Cashman's final season if things go wrong again. Maybe, you know, you elevate Brian Cashman to legacy GM and bring him Kim Eng to make decisions. What stuck out to me was that I've seen a lot of Mets speculation or there's going to be Mets speculation whenever anybody loses their job or changes positions. But if she didn't want to be under a new hire in Miami, why would she want to work under David Stearns in Flushing? That's that's precisely what I thought, and that's why I think that a a, a GM job or a, like or a job that isn't the number one, I think, would be unlikely for her because she clearly wants to be a number one, and based on what her success in Miami, she deserves to be a number one, and um, she's got her right to pick whatever job that she wants, um, and I think Boston would be a really attractive job for her, especially since she already knows Alex Cora, yeah. Um, so there's like connections there for sure, um. And I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I was reminded of this earlier um, earlier today, but Buster only ended up writing something. I want to say it was about like a month ago. Um, as soon as the Red Sox fired Heim Bloom and wondered if possibly Alex Cora could move to the front office uh, and be like their decision maker there. And then they end up hiring a manager there. I'm going to make this crystal clear. I have not heard that. I have not heard that at all. Um but I do think it was interesting that he ended up writing that, especially since he did work with Cora at ESPN. So I wonder if he possibly knows something there. I don't know, but like, can I, I don't know. I, I got to imagine that's a highly unlikely scenario, especially considering he's one of the best managers in baseball. Um, but considering that their job is getting turned down like it is, I guess he can't really leave anything off the table. It's funny because I guess somebody like Kim Eng would be the closest he could come to working in that front office without getting elevated because they do have a prior relationship. So it would almost be like a foot in the door if he wants to try that out and, and f figure out what it feels like without leaving his managerial job or without creating an additional vacancy. It's also just sports are so interconnected. Like Brad Stevens of the Celtics did that. And so just because Alex Cora is across town, it's natural to kind of be like, ah, there's a good manager. I wonder if he wants to go be in the front office. So whether Olney knew something because he worked with Cora or was just speculating, it's definitely speculation that makes sense. And Bloom getting fired when he did and Cora not having to answer for any of this and, and the front office clearly pinning the struggles this season and the season prior on roster construction 
does make it feel like he remains a really integral part of whatever happens in Boston. Oh, 100%. Like he's going to end up being a key guy no matter what. Um, I got him, as I said, I got to imagine Cora ends up staying there as like as their manager um, and doesn't move to the front office. But um, I'm, I'm just really curious to see exactly what they do in that front office, especially since I think like if they get Thad Levine or they, if they get Kim Ang, then I think they're going to end up being in good shape. But as I'm just I don't know who else is a candidate besides those guys. Um, and that's something that that ownership group is really going to have to figure out here in the next couple of weeks, especially since I think they want to have a guy in place before free agency or a, a higher in place before free agency, I should say. Um, Cause obviously if you don't have someone going into free agency, you're going to be immediately behind the eight ball. Yeah. It's like James click with the, uh, you know, bouncing right before the GM meetings last year. And then the Astros are just like Rafael Montero, you know, blank check, whatever you want. Like it does get a little bit weird. The Astros are back in the ALCS. So it didn't get that weird, but you do want the infrastructure in place before decisions have to be made. No, that's exactly right. Because if you don't, then, oh boy, yeah, you're uh, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, Brian O'Halloran will be making choices. And yes, I do mean the guy from Clerks, the actor, not the Red Sox. Uh, yeah, and, and also it's funny too, because like the same thing kind of happened to the Astros last year mm-hmm. is they ended up, uh, um, they fired James Click right after winning the World Series and they entered the start of the offseason. And they had uh, one of their assistant GMs making the decisions and making the signings and negotiating the deals. And um, I mean, some of those signings didn't exactly work out. Um, and it's, that's why having like that number one decision maker, like the unquestioned one, is so important for that, for any organization. Are there any other potential lead jobs that you like? I don't think it feels like it would be hard to envision any opening up now but is there anybody else that maybe someone like kim ang she took a year off could be eyeing who's on the hot seat for next offseason i don't know it might be way too soon to speculate but i just want yeah, to i think, the, wait I think we're probably too soon to speculate on that one because uh i mean maybe maybe the yankees i mean maybe but someday like, yeah so like someday it's got to become available but like um i mean that that to me would be the probably the biggest job possibly maybe the maybe the padres if the team continues to trend in this direction um, but man, Potters are an interesting team, man. A really interesting team. There's, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to track some stuff down with them. I have been very unsuccessful in doing that, but really interesting team. Really interesting. Yeah. Last time we were talking, we were like, man, the Bob Melvin thing, like what it was the smell normal. Like, do, do you think this smells like a, a finished deal? Like dried ink? Does it smell like dried ink? And, and now we're still kind of in limbo there, I guess. I don't know. You know, yeah, you knew exactly what I was going with there. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a well-known uh, hand gesture at this point. Yeah, because like I'll tell you, like I was, I was convinced, and I'm still kind of convinced that Bob Melvin would be a great fit for the Giants. And I don't know if it's possible if he could get out and go to the Giants, um, but he knows Farhan Zaidi from their time in Oakland. I don't know. Stranger things have happened. I mean, there was, it was a similar kind of situation when Melvin left the A's. Um, a couple years ago to go to San Diego, like it was on nobody's radar and all of a sudden just like, boom, um, he ended up going to the Padres. So, I mean, AJ Preller is on the record and saying that Melvin will be back. So, I mean, you got to take him for his word, but I still think Melvin would be a great fit for the Giants. Well, we'll follow this thread as the offseason continues. The Red Sox search gets crazier and crazier. Let's talk a little on-field baseball because we did, uh, after several days off, 
I for, I forgot baseball was out there. I forgot about it over the weekend. I was watching a uh, you know college football, and then a boom Sunday night uh, Astros home game to start at the ALCS. I was like, uh, to be fair, I've seen this before. I think I'll probably just wait till the NLCS starts. I don't think I really need to watch the Minute Maid Park games. Best of luck to Jordan Montgomery. But yeah, I've I've watched this. You know, uh, and then all of a sudden Montgomery dominates. Jordan Alvarez strikes out three times against Jordan Montgomery. The Astros do not play to run. Even Aroldis Chapman keeps them off the scoreboard as a Jose Altuve base running blunder helps erase a runner in the eighth. Still, though, the undisputed star of this game, props to Montgomery, is going to earn himself a big free agent deal this offseason, but Evan Carter is the name on everybody's lips after this game ends. Oh, 100%, and as it should be. like We're, we're talking about a guy who... He looks like he's going to be one of baseball's next stars if he's not already there already. And for a Rangers team, they have an abundance of veteran players. They obviously they have Jordan Montgomery. They have Max Scherzer coming back now. Their offense is led by Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, who are four veteran players who are really really good. And then they have an infusion of young talent that's led by Carter. And like it's, they are set up to not only win now but long-term, especially having Carter there. Um, and also the pitching that they have as well. It's just an impressive roster overall. And it's why going into this series, I felt like they were the favorite over the Astros. And game one, they flexed their muscles. I know Jordan Alvarez was was ill. Yeah, Clearly not at 100%, but like that team is really difficult because they can beat you pitching and they can also beat you with offense. And it's basically a... It, it, it makes them such a difficult out. And now they have Scherzer coming back. And I'll tell you, going going back to Montgomery for a second, the way that he's pitched since be, like since being traded to St. Louis last year, did really well in St. Louis. He has picked up right where he left off in Texas. And also in this postseason, we're talking about a guy who's probably like the number two starting or left-handed starting pitcher on the market. And he's going to get paid like really paid. And you look at Blake Snell is probably going to have a contract that starts with a two. Um, Montgomery might not be very far behind. And considering that when the Yankees, the Yankees traded him because they felt like he wasn't going to be on their playoff rotation. Um, Or that was one of the reasons why. And you look at him a year and a half later, that is, it's stunning. And he's deservedly like known now and like regarded as one of the best pitchers in baseball. And he is going to be very highly compensated in the offseason. Look, there's a degree of luck to pitcher wins. We all know that. But Jordan Montgomery, who Brian Cashman did say the Yankees did not believe he would be a member of their postseason rotation if he'd stayed in the Bronx last year, is now unbeaten across five uh, outings in the postseason total, four starts. He had one playoff start for the Yankees in 2020. Four innings, saved the ALDS for one more day, extended the ALDS against the Rays so that they could lose the next day. That was very kind of him. But since going to Texas, uh, he made one outing in the Cardinals last year, pitched well, acquitted himself well in the Wild Card Series. This year with the Rangers, dominated the Rays in Tampa, struggled against the Orioles at Camden Yards, but the offense certainly did more than enough to take him to the finish line there. And then six and a third shutout in Houston yesterday. And the Evan Carter leaping catch, that doubles Altuve off first base, helps preserve that shutout, helps give the Rangers momentum that many might not have expected they'd have, but the guys in that locker room definitely did. And Evan Carter, one of the best examples of just 
good old a scouting win was drafted in the second round in 2020 a draft where it was restricted the talent pool was closed they shut it down to only five rounds carter was a guy most people didn't know especially because a lot of scouts weren't traveling that spring and the rangers surprise pick uh not a consensus second rounder not someone at the top of everyone's draft board they made a bet and he is the young star of the alcs at this moment in time yeah oh 100 percent. and i'll i'll tell you the um like i keep coming back to carter and when is like for you adam do you remember a rookie who's been this impressive this early on in his career especially in the postseason because like the only one that i can keep coming back to in my head um and this is not a direct like a maybe he's a pitcher, but it reminds me of what Madison Bumgarner did mm-hmm. early on in his career as a rookie came up with the giants and just dominated in the postseason. And he kind of has that feel. I'm curious what you think in, in regards to Carter here. I agree with that. I also, am, it's a pitcher comparison too, in terms of late arrival, but suddenly becomes the most known name in a playoff run. It's K rod for me in, in 2002. Good, good shout when you know yeah. I, it started the season i don't know i mean i think carter had more pedigree as a prospect at the start of this season than k-rod did at the start of 2002 but mm-hmm. you know late summer promotion surprisingly on the playoff roster and all of a sudden he's the only one everybody can talk about kirkering in the phillies bullpen is probably a better comparison to k-rod but it is it's rare that you just get a not just a rookie who helps you know lengthen the lineup but a rookie who is really taking over the narrative Oh, 100% too. And like, and you look at him and obviously like what he's doing is incredibly rare, as you said. And it also, it makes it because the guy who was ultimately responsible for drafting or overseeing that draft was John Daniels. And obviously like the Rangers parted ways with him and and made Chris Young, their number one guy. Um, John Daniels, like it was reported that he turned on the Red Sox uh, in terms of, um, in terms of that lead front office position. Um, and I'm, I got to imagine for any team that is looking for a number one, Daniel has to be close to the top. Like he's a really highly thought of executive. I mean, I know some of the stuff he did in Texas didn't work out, but he, he did a lot of good things in Texas. Um, and I got to imagine at some point he's going to get a second shot. I don't know where it's going to be, um, but I, I bet you his phone rings before too long again. There are some Kyle Schwarber 2016 World Series vibes with Carter, too. Obviously, Schwarber had 2015 already, had postseason experience, but him missing the whole year coming back and hitting 400 against Cleveland. I'm going to be racking my brain thinking about alternatives there probably for the rest of the show. I don't know what it is. When I watch Carter, I think of Darren Erstad with a little more pop. It's a weird comparison, but that's what keeps coming into my brain. I mean, hey, that's – it's a good comp. Basically, what we're saying here is any comp that we're coming up with for Evan Carter is, I mean, it's 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 a flattering comp because he is one of the many reasons why the Ranger, Rangers are in this position, and he's going to be one of the primary reasons, probably for the next decade, why the Rangers are going to end up being in, in continued playoff prominence here. And he's going to get a crack at Framber Valdez today with Nathan Evaldi opposing him to potentially set up Max Scherzer with a 2-0 lead at home. That feels almost too good to be true, but we will see what happens in Houston today. And then after that, the Philadelphia Phillies and Arizona Diamondbacks face off to begin the NLCS tonight. 
we don't know much. You know, nothing has changed between these two teams uh, since the last time they played their postseason games. Both coming in hot with momentum. Both having to deal with that relatively long layoff. Um, I don't know what your expectations are for game one and for this the narratives at the start of this series. Yeah, I'm going into this series, and I, I think the Phillies are the clear favorite here. I, I really do. And, like, if – like, the, the Diamondbacks is pitching, especially with Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen, it's going to keep them in games. It's not going to end up being blowout games by any means. Um, or they're, they're not going to get blown out by any – like, in, in those games. They're going to keep them competitive. It's going to be close. Um, but I, I think the Phillies here have the definitive advantage, especially when you look up, look at the lineup and how they're mashing right now. Um, they ended up – they they beat a really good Braves team, like a really, really, really good, like a historically good regular season team, and they beat them rather handedly in that series. And across the board, like the Diamondbacks have talent. Don't get me wrong. Like Corbin Carroll, awesome. Cattell Marte, awesome. Like they have good players on that team on offense and as the pitching with, as I mentioned, with Kelly and, and Gallon. Um, but I, I think this could end up being, if I'm looking at it, Probably I'm going to predict Phillies in five and the guy who I'm watching, like this is by no means breaking news because we all know how good he is, but it's Trey Turner. And we got to see it in this last series, just how good he is. And like, he's small in stature, but he's got plenty of power. It's great. He's really good defensively. Um, like he makes contact with the best of them. And I, I think this is going to end up being one of the series and when eventually, like if they do advance to the World Series, where I feel like I'm going to be looking a lot better for my Trey Turner's the best shortstop in baseball preseason proclamations. And um, you, you look at the rest of the lineup too. Bryce Harper is mashing. Uh, hopefully, the, none of the Diamondbacks poke him um, and try to try to instigate. Um, Nick Castellanos was awesome. Seeing his son in the stands going nuts like he did was really cool to see too. Um, they're just, they can beat you in so many different ways. I didn't even mention Kyle Schwarber. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's, it's freaking crazy. Um, and I, I think the Phillies have the definitive advantage here. And I think they ultimately will represent the national league in the world series. Once again, Harper and Cassianos owned most of the chatter last series. I like the pick of Turner to be the one sort of, Hey, it's not like Harper and Cassianos are going to have great series, but I feel like Turner might be at the forefront of this one. Um, mm-hmm. I worry about the Phillies bullpen just a little bit, just a little bit. I think um, I trust Rob Thompson to to fight through whatever he has to fight through. And he's certainly the Kirkering, you know, addition lengthens the bullpen. Dominguez has looked very good. Alvarado is being used in the sixth inning on occasion like he was last year. It's worked so far. Craig Kimbrell was like a horse's breath away from surrendering a bases loaded, bases clearing double to Ronald Acuna Jr., in the eighth inning to extend that series. That Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 Oh, sorry. When that, when he hit that, I thought, I thought instant trouble, instant yeah. trouble. It just kept going. And it was after three consecutive walks, which is a recipe for disaster. He got out alive of that one, but I, he's, I texted my friend. We have a, a thread of just crazy baseball guys that <laughs> all of them have other jobs in Oregon baseball. But we talk very nerdy baseball. I, on that thread, I called Craig Kimbrell, Craig Kimbrell, a hate watch for me. And I, that's just how I feel. Like I, I know he's probably going to get the job done more often than not. I know he's going to the hall of fame, but at this point in his career, he's a hate watch. I don't enjoy the experience. Same with the role as Chapman. 
Uh, I fear that there is probably a meltdown coming for both of those men at some point, and you just want to hope that the teams that employ them can survive them and move on anyway. Yeah, because I'll, I'll tell you, there is when you have a guy for like strictly for the ninth inning, um, you want to make sure like he doesn't like you want to have full confidence in him. And I'm right there with you. I don't have at least right now. I don't have full confidence in Kimbrel. Like uh, his resume speaks for itself. It's awesome, but um, it, it makes you squirm on your couch a little bit. I'm not even a Phillies fan, but like it makes you squirm, and it's like. Um, you got to wonder what that team, especially the manager, is thinking in those moments too. Like, obviously, he's gotten the job job done more often than not. But um, you're right; it does have the feel where he can that can end up coming back to bite him in the butt. And he might be the biggest um, bullpen question mark in this entire series. And I know, I know, there's a guy on the Diamondbacks, especially in their bullpen, that you wanted to mention. I um, love, I love uh, Kevin Ginkle. I just do. Like, awesome. Look, he's he's riding that tire up a little bit too. Last series, you look at the in four and a third innings this postseason so far, the whip is one three eight. That's not what you want, but no runs allowed, eight whiffs, four and a third, seventy Ks and sixty five and a third, with just a two point four eight ERA this season. Somehow ends up with a nine and one record. I love reliever one loss, like it's just such a such a crapshoot. But hey, you know what? Nine and one goes in the books. Twenty nine year old with a nasty fastball, twenty second round pick out of Arizona back in 2016 has established himself at the back end of this D-backs bullpen. I think a lot of people last round and, and in Milwaukee woke up to Andrew Saul Frank basically going, I've never heard of this person and he's getting out of the most important jams with what looks like slop lefty stuff to me. Like somebody explain this Ginkle is that guy for me that if, if people aren't on board, they need to learn the name and, with him, though, it's it's not a mystery how he gets batters out. He looks like a prototypical power reliever, and I think he has a chance to put a stamp on this series. Again, there's there's a world where Kimbrel has a tough outing, Ginkle locks something down. Maybe it's the first game in the desert, and it's two one. But then I do agree with you. I feel like I feel like this is a prototypical two zero two one four one Phillies. Yeah, it's that's exactly the kind of feel that I got too, and. If the Diamondbacks are able to get it to six or seven games, that'll be insanely impressive. And if, especially if they come out of this and win this series, because I think everybody and their mothers and anybody other under the sun that is not in Arizona um, is kind of basically penciling the, the Phillies into this thing. And who maybe the Diamondbacks prove us wrong. Um, they have, they have the talent to do it, but I just believe in the Phillies right now. And they, I've said it since the Trey Turner thing. They have the feel, and I, I think it's ultimately going to end with them being in the World Series. That's that's my feel. Yeah, this is not anti-Diamondback sentiment. I just don't think the Phillies are going to let this one go this year. So we'll we'll yep. see. But uh, they they were close last year, and it feels like they're not going to let another opportunity slip. Um, couple more quick things that I feel like we should touch on just before we sign off because of the way that this chat usually goes. I know we've probably got some Brewers fans watching. And since we last spoke, Brandon Woodruff, uh, the injury that knocked him out of the postseason has only worsened. He underwent surgery, will more than likely miss the entirety of the 2024 season. All of the trade speculation we've talked about with Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas there is a little, probably a little piece of emotional reaction in the back of the Brewers' mind that's like, without Woodruff, do we believe in this team? Like, are we more likely to all of a sudden trade Adamas, trade Burns, tear it down to its foundation? But there's too much there to just give up on a season before it begins. And I feel like 
that's what you're hearing and feeling as well. Yeah, I like that injury for them is devastating. And Woodruff is one of the better right-handed pitchers in, in the National League. And the Brewers are built on pitching and defense. And Woodruff was a key part of that. And if there's one thing I know about their owner, Mark Antanasio in Milwaukee, is that he wants to compete. And with Woodruff now likely gone for the entire 2024 season, I got to imagine this makes a Corbin Burns trade highly, highly unlikely. And like, obviously they're going to pick up the phone. They're going to listen. And if they're blown away with an offer, then they're going to have to take it. But they had flexibility uh, this off season with a healthy Woodruff. And I thought trading Burns was a realistic option for them because if we're being honest, I don't see a single scenario in which Burns returns to Milwaukee. I think no matter what he'll leave, he, he, he won't be pitching for like, I don't believe he'll be pitching for the Brewers in 2025. He has set himself up for a lucrative payday as a free agent. And if there's one thing, you know, about his agent, Scott Boris is he seeks top dollar and the Brewers, a small market team are not going to be able to offer him that. And that is why I thought a trade was going to be like pretty possible. But now, you, I don't think I don't think they're in a position now where they can trade them because they don't have the high end pitching depth um, to overcome it anymore. And that really can kind of complicate their future outlook as well, because if you look at it like possible, you trade them at like if you trade them now, they, a team that acquires him would have a full season of control, which is really valuable. You trade him at the deadline. It's you're talking about a two or three month rental. Um, and if you lose him as a fridge in the off season, all you're going to get is a qualifying offer and you're going to end up getting a draft pick in return. Um, that the brewers could have had themselves a lucrative haul. I don't think that's likely anymore. I think it's pr- pretty likely that they hold on to him, possibly look into trading with the deadline, but, um, yeah, the thought of losing him for a draft pick is tough. It's really tough. And that's a reality that I think the brewers right now are going to have to face internally. There might be that weird internal vibe then of it's I don't want to talk too much Giants football because they make me gag. But last night, the New York Giants lost that football game in part because driving at the end of the first half in Buffalo, they're around the 10, 15 yard line. It seems like they'll easily have a field goal to end the half at the very least. Maybe they get into the end zone. There's pass interference at the end zone with 14 seconds left on the clock. And then all of a sudden, it's okay. Now we have to change the playbook. We can either, you know, try, try a couple pass plays from the one or run it in. And if we don't run it in, then the clock will run out and we don't score. But obviously you want to just punch it in from the one yard line. The giants were sort of screwed there by analysis paralysis by the penalty, by the benefit that gave them all that yardage and pushed them all the way to the one yard line. And you wonder if they could do it all over again, if they would be like, man, we would just love to keep attacking this from the 10 or the 12. Like we don't want to be all the way up here. The brewers, you wonder if there's a little piece in the back of their minds. that's like, man, I, it would be really way easier if we struggled this year, because then we could just trade burns at the deadline. We wouldn't accidentally succeed, play ourselves out of getting a haul for him and then have to face the tough decision of losing him for just a draft pick. Yeah, 100% too. And it's like, it's it's such a tri- tricky thing for them to navigate. And I got also got to imagine too, like this is going to be playing into Craig Council's thinking as he's trying to comp- contemplate his future. Um, I know there's 
there's some people who believe that he is probably going to like there. I know there's some people who think he's probably gone. And I know there's other people who think that's a really difficult job for him to leave. But I mean, if we're looking at possibly the last seasons of um, Burns, Adamas, and you don't know what the future of Woodruff is going to look like, that's another one that they got to figure out too. Like, do they non-tender him this offseason? Do they do um, uh, an extension? Um, they, they, that's or a short-term extension. That's something that the front office could have to figure out. There's a lot of questions with that Brewers team, and this is not an easy answer for Craig Council either, or not an easy decision because this is his childhood team. It's a city. It's a state in which he grew up in, um, and this was basically his dream job, and he, he's that decision for him has to be extremely difficult and it's probably it's one of the many reasons why um it's taken him as long as he is and they're gonna need an answer before too long um so i gotta imagine it's coming sooner rather than later but there's a lot of layers to that one for counsel and uh, i'm glad i'm not the one who has to make that decision yeah they'll need an answer sooner rather than later the only answer they've gotten so far is a negative one on woodruff and perhaps that will shape the remainder of their offseason san francisco just to touch briefly, we talked about Farhan Zaidi. He's got a tough decision ahead of him this offseason. They're looking to fill Gabe Kapler's managerial seat. Word leaked yesterday that they interviewed Alyssa Nakin for the job, a, a female coach in the giant system who has distinguished herself. That is obviously the headline-grabbing interview, uh, but I was wondering if you'd heard any of the specifics of that and if you knew anything else about the direction of that hire potentially. Yeah, they are. So they're talking to an abundance of internal candidates here. And they've talked to Alyssa. They've talked to Kai Correa. They talked to another one internally. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, and let me let me look real quick. because I want to make sure I get this right, because this is actually an important one here. Um, it would be um, Halberg. Mm-hmm. That's that's who it is. And like they're they're going to talk to external candidates as well, and I I know a name that has been on their list is is Donnie Ecker in Texas. I, that one's tricky. Um, I've heard varying things on on this one, um, and I, I don't I don't know. I'm I'm kind of torn on how strong his candidacy is. Um, I can get into that once this decision is 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 done for them and they have a manager in place, but. Um, I, I, one thing I do believe is that there is a lot of influence from Buster Posey in this decision. Uh, that is something that I've, I've heard from numerous different people. And I think he's going to end up having a strong voice here. Um, and it's going to be Zaidi it's going to be Posey and it's going to be giants ownership. And, and figuring this out is, is a really interesting one. I think Halberg is absolutely a, a real candidate. Um, I think Ecker is a candidate here too. Got to imagine there's some other ones. I know I mentioned, um, by the way, in the last show that that Kyle Haynes was a uh, a candidate there, I don't. I it's possibly could end up being like a, a bench coach kind of a thing, but um, I don't I don't think he's going to be a manager there. But um, yeah, and I Kaya Correa, I don't think he's overly likely either. Um, an interesting one. It's a really important hire for the Giants, and they they have made it abundantly clear publicly and privately they want to have a recruiter like a, a manager who's a good recruiter has good relationships with the players because I think this off season and maybe even next one is going to be a really important one for them to attract like some prime free agents to San Francisco. And I got to imagine they're going to want to have a real shot at signing Shohei Otani because if they're able to get Otani 
and keep him away from the Dodgers, that is about as big of a win as you could possibly ask for uh, if you're a giant. And last offseason's free agent recruitment did not go so fantastically there. So potentially whoever steps into Gabe Kapler's role will get a chance to captain this one a little bit better. Uh, well, the next time we see you all in the comment section will be Thursday afternoon. We'll have a little more clarity on where these playoff series sit. And hopefully we'll have a little more clarity on some of these big front office questions. You know something shocking is going to break between Monday and Thursday and throw off the entire show. But that is why we do what we do. Appreciate all the comments today, all the viewership. Leandro Espinal, I know you want to hear from us on where the top talent from overseas is going to sign Yamamoto and, and Lee out of the Korean League and Trevor Bauer, who I don't consider among that same uh, group of people, but uh, that's hilarious to read that way. We will certainly talk about them as the offseason goes on. I know the Yankees love Yamamoto. I know that that's going to be a bidding war. I know the Mets love Yamamoto. When the Mets love somebody and the Yankees love somebody, guess what? $200 plus million. But we will give you the latest on that as we learn it. Uh, for now, just sit back and enjoy the baseball before the offseason really goes wild. We'll be back here 3.30 Eastern on Thursday, Bet365 is the sponsor today. Baseball in is the promo code. They've got the bonus bets for you. If you are a new user and are eligible, make sure to check the description. Like and subscribe to the channel. Seeing more of that lately, too, and it makes me uh, very happy. Uh, and, and if you aren't yet a member of the Discord, if you aren't yet a member of the YouTube channel, no better time than the present to join. Robert Murray, thanks so much for taking me through all this. We've got some big interviews this week as well to run on the channel. So more great content as the CS heat up. Oh, absolutely. I'm so here for it. We got a big interview tomorrow morning, bright and early tomorrow morning for me. <laughs> I know it's, it starts at 6 a.m. my time, so I'm going to have to really set my alarm early. Uh, but I'm here for it. Anything for you guys. And Adam, great show today, my friend. Great show today. Full of, full of stuff. Just power-packed. Um, and uh, give those keep, keep those Evan Carter comps coming. If anybody wants to weigh in in the comments, uh, who does Evan Carter remind you of? What playoff run does this remind you of? And we're going to be asking that uh, to tomorrow's guest as well. So uh, stay tuned. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks for checking it out. Thanks for tuning in, as always, uh, for Robert Murray and myself. We'll see everybody here on Thursday.